Well, again, a good morning to you and a welcome to each of you on this beautiful Sunday. Amen. And um, uh, it's a wonderful day to be together. We've had a beautiful morning together celebrating our children, our third, fourth, and fifth graders, the giving of Bibles, great lunch in the back, celebration uh, with children's sermon in the first service, welcoming back our music groups, the choir, hallelujahs. Thank you, Don, for an amazing piece that matches so well with the scripture. Just a beautiful day to be together. Amen. A wonderful day to be together. So we begin this new sermon series, the book of Ruth, Lost, Love, and Loyalty. How does that inform our faith as we walk the path uh, along with our friend Ruth? How many of you have read the book of Ruth? Right, many of you, okay. How many of you have a friend named Ruth, right? Maybe, right? Uh, so we've got some connections here, amen, right? So uh, we're, we're going to talk a lot about, over the next few weeks, what this book teaches us. But the, the first part of this story is really a hard, hard story, right? Because it's around loss and brokenness and betrayal. It's about uh, uncertainty. It's about a famine. It has all of these kind of difficult challenges. In fact, many scholars compare Ruth uh, to Job, like it's the female version of Job, because she asked many of the same questions that Job did as he experienced calamity and loss, the loss of children and wealth and homes and buildings. He says, why God? And in many ways, uh, that's exactly what Naomi does as well. Both are similar literature in the Bible, this kind of wisdom literature uh, that invites us to ask those questions. I grew up in a tradition that said you couldn't ask those questions, but the Bible's full of those questions and Naomi has those in particular in this story today. In our, the version of the Christian Bible, uh, Ruth finds herself between judge, Judges and the book of Judges and the beginning of the Kings and Chronicles and the history stories of the Kings. In uh, Hebrew Scripture or in the Jewish Bible, uh, Ruth is put together with other wisdom literature, right? And uh, because she's a, this book is a festival reading, like Esther and others, they're read at particular festival times, and Ruth is read during the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Shavuot, or the Feast of Booths, so a time of harvest. So it makes perfect uh, sense that this whole story takes place around a harvest eventually, and you'll hear that at the end of today's passage. But I've been thinking a lot about this book of Ruth, and been thinking about this, this, the place where Naomi ends up at the end of chapter 1, she's in a very bad place. And for some of us in the room, we've been there before too, amen? We've experienced a sudden loss of death, we've experienced a loved one departing, we've seen a relationship fall apart, a marriage has ended in divorce, we've lost a job, our career didn't go how we thought it would be, our children have disappointed us, we've disappointed our children, uh, things haven't worked out in the way that we had hoped, and, and, and I don't know about you, sometimes when that happens to me, I get resentful. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, right? I get blamey, like I blame somebody else, this can't be about me, it has to be about somebody else. I get bitter sometimes, I get cynical, I get edgy and snarky and anybody, you know what I'm saying? And so in many ways, we get Naomi's dilemma because we've been there. We understand her feelings because what we read in the first chapter of the book of Ruth is an enormous amount of loss. I thought a lot about different people uh, in experiences of this example of resentment and loss and, and uh, bitterness and cynicism 
Uh, I, in my church, several churches ago, there was a woman, and she could have easily been this person, right? I mean, she, she was just unhappy about everything. She had certainly experienced some really challenging things. She had had some difficult relationships, uh, but she could not let those go, right? She also was a real cynic about everything. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. We tried that before. Maybe you're that person. Maybe I'm that person, right? But she just, she just was a really negative person. And what happened is people began to kind of rotate away from her and not engage her and, and engage her, and that was hurtful to her as well. But people found that they couldn't be around all that negativity, amen, right? She had so many wounds and so much pain that she could not release. I think about a relative who will remain unnamed because some of my family watches this, right? Um, he, he is one who in our family blamed everyone else, and he'd certainly experienced some deep loss. He'd been in a very difficult relationship that hadn't gone well. There was no reason for him to return to that, right? We don't go back to abusive relationships, amen, amen, amen. But he couldn't move beyond it. He blamed the family. He blamed everyone else for the way things didn't work out. And he was always just so unhappy and so miserable. In some ways, as I think about those folks, and maybe you have people in mind, and maybe that's you in this moment. I don't know. I've been there. I kind of get where Naomi may be. I kind of get what it's like to live and to embrace these places of resentment in the midst of loss and brokenness. And sometimes that can define us. So if you have your Bible, and you can turn to sort of the beginning of the Old Testament, right after the book of Judges, we're going to look at this first chapter of Ruth today. And for the next three weeks, we're going to spend time learning what this book of loss and loyalty and love can teach us about being people of faith. In chapter 1, verse 1, this is what's spoken. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, I know you know what the judges were, but let's recap it. Probably the reason it falls after the book of Judges. Before the kings, like King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and the other kings, Israel, as it had returned, uh, was governed by a group called the judges. Not really black robes and a gavel, right? But men and women who ruled sort of tribal leaders, as, uh, as the people lived in their various places. One of the famous ones is Deborah. You've heard of her. Another one's Gideon, uh, Samson, and there's a host of other judges. And they kind of ruled and made decisions, kind of a loose federation of government. So it's in the days of the judges that there was a famine. Now, famine is a word we kind of skip over quickly, but it's an important word. It's not just a bad year of bad crops. It's not a shortage of certain foods. It is intensive loss, right? Crops are not growing, water is gone, creeks and rivers are dry, animals are dying in the fields, there is no food, no source, and populations are dying. You see what I'm saying? So famines are extreme, and in in this day of the judges, there's a famine in the land of Judah, and Judah was a a tribe in southern, and, and that especially affected the community of Bethlehem. Anybody heard of Bethlehem? Jesus born there, King David born there. I'm sure you know this, so Bethlehem is the city of bread, okay? That's what it means, the city of bread. So it's interesting that in the city of bread, there is no bread because there's a famine. So there was a certain man there, and he went to live in the country of Moab, right? Now, Moab, which is present-day Jordan, just uh, southeast of the Dead Sea, around the other end of the sea, um, 
Moab were the big enemies. The Moabites were huge enemies of the Israelites. Moab had its uh, beginnings in Lot and his daughter. It's a very difficult story. If you're bored, you can look it up right now. Uh, but anyway, the Moabites have their historical place there, and uh, they were enemies. Their kings had been against the Israelites. One king tried to stop them from coming from Egypt. There are ki- all kinds of enemies. So to say that there was a famine and a man from Bethlehem went to Moab would have been shocking, right? It would have been like going to Iowa, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, right? That's what we're talking about. So there was a man during the famine who lived in the city of bread, but there was no bread, so he made a trip with his family to Moab, and he had his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech means God is king, so it's a powerful name. Remember, names always have a meaning in Hebrew. And Naomi means pleasant, right? So Naomi, pleasant, and Elimelech, God is king, are married, there's a famine, and they go to Moab, which is shocking. And they have two sons. Now their two sons were Malan and Chilion, and their names are not quite as fun, right? Malan is sickness, that's what it means, and Chilion means wasting away. Yeah, I know. I don't know what she was thinking, right, you know? But these names are going to live themselves out. So, so, the, so there's God is king, is married to Pleasant. They have two sons, sickness and wasting away, right? So Malan and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites, which means they came from Ephraim, Jacob. They lived in Bethlehem, the city of bread, where there is no bread in Judah. And so they went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Now, I want you to think about them. They're basically refugees who've gone during a famine to live in a land of enemies. So they probably weren't well-received, probably had been a hard life. There he was, Elimelech, his wife, and their two sons. Then in verse 3, Elimelech, God is king, the husband of Naomi, pleasant, died, and she was left for her two sons. Now, for those of us, there's sadness in that, right, that they've moved to this foreign place They've tried to survive the famine. We don't know what Elimelech's job was or how they were surviving. But in the midst of this, Elimelech dies. Now, what's interesting is there's already some concern. Because in the ancient world, and you probably remember this, women were defined by their husbands, right? You knew that, right? So the male-centered culture, women were defined by their husbands. So already, Naomi is in a little bit of trouble that Elimelech has now died and is buried in this foreign country. But she has two sons. Remember, sickness and wasting away. So she probably is going to be okay. Well, these two took two Moabite wives, which would have been shocking too. The name of one was Orpah. Orpah means neck or fawn, like a little deer, okay? That's a very interesting name to give someone. Do you know Oprah Winfrey? She was named for Orpah, but they misspelled the name, so she's Oprah, but it, she really should have been called Orpah, right? You can talk about that at work this week. You'll be very impressive. Amen? The name of the other was Ruth, and Ruth means compassionate friend, right? So the two Moabite wives have married uh, sickness and wasting away, and when they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilion, sickness and wasting away, died. I don't think we're terribly surprised. Amen, right? And because of their names, probably it's not a surprise they didn't have children, and they certainly didn't have sons. 
And so all of a sudden, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, two daughters-in-law, are left alone without any men to define them. You see what I'm saying? And in a culture where your husband defines you, you're now at a loss. There's no place for you to find power, position, wealth, or even bread and survival. So Naomi decides to return home. And her daughters-in-law decide to go with her to leave the country of Moab. For she had heard and read on CNN and other uh, newscasts that the famine was over and that she could return and that the place of Bethlehem, the city of actually had some bread. Amen? So she set out from the place where she had been living, and she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. It's interesting. They're on the journey. They've already gotten onto the tollway, right? And then Naomi pulls over and says, hey, you two need to go back to your families. You need to go back to your people and, and some scholars believe she waited till they were on the road because they might have talked her out of it in their home. But at this point, as they're on the road, it's becoming real. They're leaving what they know. She says, you should go back, each to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. So they clearly have a good relationship uh, and clearly, Naomi cares about them and wants them to go back. And then they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. So they're determined to continue to travel. Then Naomi t- does an interesting second argument. So while they're over in the rest area having this discussion about whether they should go back to Moab and not go to Bethlehem, the city of bread... Naomi offers another argument. Now, I know you know about uh, the ancient law, the Torah, and in the Torah there's a law called Leverite law, all right? And I know you already know where I'm headed, but just for those of us who forget, Leverite law means this, and the women in the room are going to really love this. You ready? So, if you're defined by a man, and you're married to the oldest son, and you don't have sons, and then your husband dies, here's what you have to do. You have to marry his next brother, Right? And then you have to have a son together to reestablish the line. And if you marry him and he dies before you have sons, then you have to marry the third brother. And so I just want you to think about that, women in the room. If your husband died or, you know, whatever, you would have to marry your brother-in-law. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, there's a lot of shock in the room, right? So that's what, so Naomi knows that. But here's the deal. As Naomi begins to make this argument with Orpah and Ruth, she realizes, and we all realize, but she's not able to have children. She's postmenopausal. So the, the, the opportunity for her to marry a brother of Elimelech and have children is impossible. And she says that. She said, I really implore you to go back. Because even if I could meet a man on Match.com today, and we got married tomorrow at Kingswood Church, and then we got pregnant the next day, right, at our honeymoon, right, then... Would you be willing to wait the 18 years for these two sons to marry you, right? It's really a great argument, right? Really, you need to go back. This isn't going to work. Now, Orpah, I love this. Orpah, her name means neck or fawn. She kind of gets it. Like she just, I, I don't know, I can just imagine her going, oh yeah, this is not a good idea, right? 
And so Orpah kisses her and they cry a little bit. They exchange numbers, you know, they text whatever, whatever they do. And then Orpah, you know, catches the next car back and she heads back to Moab because she sees the writing on the wall. But Ruth, compassionate friend, says, no, I'm going with you no matter what. And Naomi implores her not to go. And then Ruth says the words which were sung so beautifully by the Alleluia's. Listen to this. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and here's the big one, and your God will be my God. I will release my gods in Moab, and I will embrace your God, Naomi. And then where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried beside you. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. That's amazing, right? Now, this often gets read at weddings, like it's a romantic interlude. But the reality is, this is about Ruth's loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she is not going to let Naomi travel without a husband, without any identity, back to the city of bread all alone. Ruth is going to risk everything she knows, enter a country where she'll be a foreigner, and there she will embrace and be a part of Naomi's life, even if death parts them. Do you see that intensity? But this part of the story isn't about Ruth. It's much more about Naomi. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. She she finally realized, I'm not going to talk her out of it. So the two of them traveled on, and eventually they came to Bethlehem, the city of... And when they came to the city of bread, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? (laughs) I love this part, right? So they enter town, and how many of you grew up in a small town? Some of us did, right, right? In small towns, you know, stuff gets around pretty fast, right? I mean, one thing happens, somebody visits. My mom lived in such a small town that the newspaper would report who had visited the house and what they served for dinner, right? In Paradise, Kansas, when we would visit, it would say, Pat and Weldon Preston and their three children, James Lee and Brenda, visited, and Louise, that was my grandmother, fixed beef and noodles and a butterscotch pie and served iced tea, right? You see what I'm saying? It's true. Somebody? Anybody? Right? Yeah. Yeah, some of us grew up with that. That's what we're talking about in the city of bread, right? That's what we're talking about. So here's Naomi and Ruth, and they enter town, and the whole town is stirred up. I mean, they're on fire. And I'm sure this doesn't happen in your small towns, but mine gossiped a lot, right? So you can just hear it, right? Oh, is that Naomi? In fact, the Bible says that's the question. Is this Naomi? She's really aged a lot, right? They must have not had a Mario Tricocci there to help her keep it up, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And who's this woman with her? She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite, right? And you can just imagine that the community is all stirred up. And it's interesting what Naomi says in return. If you've got your Bible, verse 20. She says to the women, to the community, Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Mara means bitterness, right? So if you have a friend named Mara, I don't know, in last service, someone came up to me and said, I know one Mara, and she's very bitter. So maybe the name tells the truth, right? (laughs) Call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Here's the theological dilemma, right? Here's the Job version 
of, of, of this book, right? Naomi is at a place of faith crisis. She's lost her husband. She's lost her son. She has no identity. Orpah decided to go back. She has this Ruth woman following along with her. She's entered town, and everybody's talking about her, and the tweets are on fire, and she feels God has abandoned her, and sometimes we do too. I went away full, she says, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasant, when the Lord has dealt so harshly with me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi's in a difficult place. She's faced a very difficult moment. She's had extensive loss, and she feels that God has abandoned her. And she cries out with all sorts of questions and all sorts of complaints. And in many ways, I'm grateful for this because sometimes many of us have been in that place too. Amen? Why? Why? And then in verse 22, so Naomi returned to, with Ruth the Moabite, they want you to remember who she is, her daughter-in-law who came back with her from the country of Moab, that would be shocking. And they came to the city of, city of, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Isn't that interesting? So the stage is set. I know you're excited because I know you know good things happen at a barley festival, amen, right? So next week we'll talk about what happens at the barley harvest because that sets the stage for the next part of the story of Ruth and Naomi. But what I want to say is that part of what I appreciate about Scripture and about this particular book is it's honest, true, and raw. Naomi is hurt. She's resentful. She's bitter. She feels like she's been abandoned, and she expresses that. And in many ways, we're fearful that Naomi will hold on to that forever. And I don't know about you, sometimes we hold on to past hurts, resentments, bitterness, betrayal, brokenness, and we cannot let it go. Anyone? I was in a meeting recently with a good friend, and I was talking about another person in my life who had kind of really hurt my feelings and made some promises they didn't keep and, and kind of really betrayed me in some ways. And, and my friend said, are you over that? And I said, well, of course I'm over that. And then I went on to say how difficult that person was and how mad I still was and how much I really resented them, right? And my friend said in such a loving way, I, I don't think you're over it. And I'm not. And I'm holding on. And it's an obstacle to the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. Amen. Hopefully as we journey through Ruth, we'll see how like somebody like Ruth, compassionate friend, can come alongside us. Maybe it's Jesus who walks with us and helps us to let those resentments go so that love can lead us into a new place. Even in the city of bread, even when someone is called Mara, even when there's great loss and hurt, even when we anticipate the barley harvest.